On today's episode, we are going to be going back to a segment from one of my previous group coaching calls. And on this call, we hear from Jennifer, and she asks the following question. I'm going to first share with you the clip from this group call, and then I'll recap it at the end for you with some of the key takeaways that I think you should be considering if this is a challenge that you're running into in your family. Jennifer asked, my 16-month-old is starting to be more vocal about food preferences. Tonight, she asked for crackers and applesauce, which weren't offered, at dinner after eating only a small portion of her meal. What's the best way to address the division of responsibility with a child this age so that they understand? Hey mama, I'm Ashley and welcome to the Veggies and Virtue podcast. In this podcast, you will find simple menu ideas, kitchen organizational systems spelled out for mom life and feeding tips and tricks that are both evidence-based and grace-laced. I believe that you can find flexibility when it comes to feeding your family so that you can feel calm, capable, and connected in the kitchen. As a registered dietitian and Christian mom of three myself, I want you to break free from the mealtime battles and to feel equipped while feeding your kids all day long. Pull up a stool at my kitchen counter and let me pour you a cup of coffee and say a quick prayer for you. It's time to chat about the mealtimes, messes, moments, and ministry of motherhood. Jennifer, did I hear that you're on? Yeah, I'm I'm here. Okay, great. Hi. So I have your question, obviously. At, did you want to give any additional context to this or chat through this any more than what you had kind of shared here? My um, question is, so I have a three, almost four-year-old and a 16-month-old. And I feel like my 16-month-old has been just recently starting to show a lot of preferences, whereas, you know, since she started eating solids, pretty much would eat, you know, whatever was offered. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know at this age, as far as like the what, when, and where, I feel like, you know, still mostly under my control. But last night at dinner, she ate maybe third of her dinner and then started pointing to the cupboard and saying cracker cracker and apple for I don't know at this age how you can best communicate with them that like no that's not being offered if it's just as simple as that or how to implement this at this young age that's a great great question and I know we touched a little bit on module one of kind of like at what age can you start the division of responsibility because every time I've run the academy Anyone with a child under two always asks some derivative of this question because it's kind of like they don't really know what I'm saying. So I kind of wait until they understand more. Like, at what point do we start doing it? So I think you asked a great question. A few things I think to touch on is, one, just the way that we would reinforce intended behaviors and overall structure with any other area of trying to get them to be compliant with going to put on their shoes or it's time to get in your seatbelt, which is often a protested activity or like just different things that we know that may not like. We might have our one or two liners. So if they protest for crackers or applesauce, I would, I would, especially at this place, because this is where the autonomy and independence <laughs> limit testing really starts to take off that I would just say that's on the menu tonight, we can have crackers tomorrow. And they might protest, but my recommendation and my encouragement here is that the protests will just get bigger. The limit testing will just get stronger if they see that like, well, last night you did give me applesauce. Well, tonight you're not, because then they're going to be confused because there's an inconsistency there. So I would say decide what you're going to offer. So a few things. One, if you decide to include applesauce or crackers at the meal, especially if you know it's a meal that there's not preferred choices, that's fine, especially as you ease into this if you feel that you need to. But if it's not a part of your original meal, I would not get up 
and get something else because it reinforces to her if you throw a fit for it, you can have it. It reinforces to her like you're partly in charge of what's offered. And another challenge that can come in is with your older daughter, if she kind of starts to see like, well, hey, how come she got to like get something on request? Does that mean I can just ask for it or now I'm big enough, I can just get up from my chair and go get it. So it can create some real challenges in kind of the boundary setting, especially with several children of different ages. That said, to kind of go to like the root of where I think we're getting at with this is going back to like the week one underlying anxieties and the concerns that we have and, you know, some of the fears that we have of like, but they didn't eat, you know, I would say that is where we just have to start to really like trust and promote that self-regulation because a one-year-old is no less able to self-regulate than a two or a four-year-old. If anything, they're normally better at self-regulating because they haven't had interruptions or people intervening where maybe they didn't need someone to intervene on their ability to self-regulate. So I would just try and very calmly, very consistently stick to that's not on the menu tonight. We will have it again tomorrow and make it regularly available so they see it's still something that they get to have but it's not on demand or with processing or things like that does that make sense or does that bring about any new questions for you no that that does make sense because I I think overall she's still I would say not at a picky stage yet and I I do remember older one around two or something is when she really her preferred foods did to get a lot more limited so I'm really hoping to alleviate some of that. But yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I encourage you there too, because I think each of my kids have shown pretty preferential eating habits early. And it's kind of like when they're at this like early impressionable age, we kind of think like it's so innocent, like kind of feel like they're still a baby. And so it's like, we need to make sure they eat and we're kind of willing to just give them what they, what we know they like. But that's where we start to see the pickiness take off all the more because we're catering to that love it list. And all of a sudden that love it list gets so much more defined because anytime they don't want to eat what's offered, we just give them those foods. So they kind of learn like, why would I eat the other stuff? I can always have that. So between 16 months and 24 months, we can quickly see how this cycle begins of it was really innocent and well-intended to begin with. But if it becomes a habit and we habitually do this, I mean, it's one thing if, you're at the doctor's office, you're trying to like tame one kid while your four-year-old's getting their four-year-old shots or something like that. There's, there's times to use it if you have to, but if it becomes habitual, it can really perpetuate more problems and more picky eating down there. Not to get into a different tangent of like food throwing, but it, at kids at that age that start to kind of test out these behaviors to see like, well, does this get a reaction? Does this get the attendance, get the desired outcome that I wanted? And they just test those things to see how we respond where if you stay pretty consistent with it, kids are going to be kids. They're going to ask for things when it's not offered. I mean, my six-year-old who's been born and raised with this still will sometimes be like, well, I wanted this. Because they're going to be kids, but it's not, a, it's not an issue. It's not a conflict. It doesn't like develop into anything. So I would say, you know, as much as you can kind of nip it in the bud now, it'll save you some stress and potentially, you know, more significant picky eating down the road. Okay. Yeah. And you just mentioned food throwing and she's definitely starting to be at that age and tipping her, dropping her plate and her cups. So So all, yeah, it's my son is 17 months. So I'm like right in your world, living and breathing it. And same sort of thing. Like I catch myself all the time being like, it's so easy to just like reach for the food. I know he'll eat. 
But then at the same time, it's like, I just know it's such a vulnerable window and not in terms of like, he's going to starve, but a vulnerable window in terms of like setting this foundation as well as I can so that he can continue to just thrive in whatever ways he, his appetite and food preferences are going to develop. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. No problem. So I want to go ahead and talk through some of the dynamics that came up in this conversation on what formerly was called my academy group coaching program. And that's because, especially if you have younger kids or in the case of this mom, she has older kids as well. But when you have a younger child and you're trying to implement and establish this responsive feeding approach, often referred to as something like the division of responsibility, it can feel conflicting as a parent to know how to navigate it because we look at these kids still not necessarily understanding everything that we're saying. And so often we feel that maybe our behavior is exhibiting the love that we want or uh, the boundaries that we put in place to really show. And so what I want you to take away from this conversation with this mom is that while responsive feeding does evolve over the lifespan and with different ages and stages, we can still begin establishing it very early on. If you followed me for any amount of time or read through my blog or been a longtime listener to the podcast, you know that the division of responsibility in feeding is going to look different at each life stage. There is division of responsibility within infancy and toddlerhood, early childhood, as kids get a little bit older and have a little bit more independence and life skill development, and especially as kids grow older into adolescence and young adulthood, we want to be preparing them to be competent, confident eaters. And it is a process and it does happen on a continuum over time. But as a parent, just as we don't throw our child in the front seat of a car right away or let them walk through a parking lot independently, there are boundaries in place in order to bless them and to help them. And so thinking about it similarly as with a young child, there's that many more boundaries. They may protest that car seat. Does that mean that they get to go in the car without being in their car seat? I sure hope not. And so we want to think about there are more limitations as it may be seen when they're younger that they may not understand, but it's not their job to understand it at their age. Developmentally, that's not appropriate. They don't know what their bodies need. They don't know how to fuel appropriately. They don't know how to nourish themselves and to incorporate variety and how to build healthy habits. And so we are helping show them and model for them those lifestyle habits for our family in a way that is going to bless them and set them up for success moving forward in all the ages and stages to come, but that it's also forming a feeding foundation for your entire family so that you're not necessarily catering to infancy or early toddlerhood in a specific way that is later going to backfire or is going to create some challenges with other kids in the family. So a few things that I want you to take away from this episode is first and foremost, set those boundaries early and often, as early and as often as you can. This does not mean that if you have a child over the age of 18 months or well over the age of 18 months, I have several clients who I'm working with who have kids in you know, late elementary school or junior high school. And they're still wanting to, you know, kind of change the landscape of their family's feeding environment. So it's never too late 
But for those of you with young kids who are listening, know that you can really start to implement this structure of what your role in the feeding relationship is, what your child's role in the feeding relationship is early and often so that less pushback, less problems happen later on down the road. Additionally, you want to be really clear. So to make sure that you're communicating with something that's simply a one or two liner, you don't need to go into this rant on attempting to give your child appropriate nutrition education, tell them all the reasons why they can or cannot have something. Just simply say, that's not on the menu right now. We could have that again later. And then follow up with what that later time is. But that's very clear. It's something that as your young child's communication skills develop, they will be able to understand more and more of what you're saying. But they'll also know that you're really consistent. And that's the third thing I want you to think about is really and often, number one, really clear communication, number two, and consistency, number three. Because we all know from having toddlers that that's when the independence and autonomy really starts to be exhibited in our kids. And they're going to naturally push back to a lot of things. And so how we handle that pushback, how we keep our composure. And honestly, a lot of this does boil down to it's gonna be my fourth point, but where is our confidence? Where are we at with our own security of, can we stand our ground on this? Can we set limits with love? Can we be responsive in our feeding relationship with our kids without always catering to them? or always being overly controlling. There is a dance and a balance. And so you need to find that rhythm and routine that you can stay really consistent with early on so that it just becomes what your child expects from you. The fourth thing I wanted to highlight is to identify any insecurities or underlying anxieties you might have, particularly if you had any sort of traumatic experiences with your child maybe being in the NICU or being given a diagnosis of failure to thrive or if they had poor weight gain or if breastfeeding or formula feeding was a struggle, introductions of solid, any of these early life experiences that you share with your child can be some of the underlying reasons why it's harder for us as parents to maintain some of these boundaries and to implement some of this structure. And so sometimes just kind of peeling back the onion a little bit to understand why this feels so challenging for you or where your, you know, kind of deepest mom intuition and internal concerns come from can help you pave the path moving forward so that you have a better understanding about how you can be all those things of doing this early and often, being really clear in your communication with your child, maintaining consistency. But sometimes we have to get to the root of it first to understand why it feels so struggling for us or with our children. The fifth and final takeaway that I want you to consider from this conversation is how do you keep your call? And the reason I say this is because, as I mentioned in the conversation with this mom, there are times and situations where we do kind of act out of the norm and let some boundaries go in order to keep the peace. That's motherhood. That's how we have to think on our feet and be willing to adapt and be spontaneous in certain situations so that everyone can kind of keep their calm. But with that, I also want you to think about big picture. What does your calm look like three months from now, six months from now, 12 months from now? 
when your child's celebrating their third birthday, their fifth birthday, their eighth birthday, what does calm look like to you? Because sometimes when we're in the throes of toddlerhood and we're dealing with their tantrums and we're trying to be the calm to their chaos, we can sometimes get lost in it. And that's where I see a lot of parents adapting on the spot to their child's requests or rather sometimes demands. But often that's not coming out of a place of your calm. It's kind of meeting them in their chaos. And so I want you to think about what can you do to help maintain a calm feeding environment for your family? Because your child does not know how or does not have the skills to know how to do that yet. But the more that you can say, I'm calm, cool, and collected to sometimes have to sway from what our normal boundaries are. And you can answer to that and you can respond in that situation confidently because you made that decision from a calm position. But if you find yourself being really reactive and kind of adding to the chaos of these temper tantrums or these you know, perpetual snack requests or a lack of structure, things like that. My guess is, from having seen this with so many different families that I've worked with, you're not coming from a place and you're not operating out of your own soul. Instead, you're likely questioning your own decision-making and equally so wrestling with a lot of internal conflict over doing what you know you ought to probably not do. And so if you lack that inner peace and that sense of calm, cool, and collected nature in all of this, I want you to take a minute and kind of start there and work backwards through these five takeaways that I mentioned, because I think then you will begin to arrive at a place where you feel like you really can do this with a lot more clarity and confidence and consistency and to be able to establish this for your family in whatever season you're in. And especially all those that will be thrown at you moving forward as your kids change and develop and their needs also change and develop. It has been a joy having you on the podcast today. And if you've enjoyed it as well, I have a quick favor to ask. Do you mind hopping over to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a written review? This will only take you a hot second, but it truly blesses me every time I get to read what one of you write over there, and it allows me to bless others through this podcast and the episodes to come. The other thing that you can do is to take a screenshot of this episode and tag me over on Instagram at Veggies and Virtue. I would love to see what action steps that you're taking from this episode and also to support your family in the journey moving forward. Until next time, thanks for coming over to chat at my kitchen counter. Remember that you will always have a seat and a snack waiting for you here.